Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donja Keating, live from the Seattle area at about 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Wednesday, January 21st. Listeners dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak. If you'd rather send us a comment or question via chat, just open it up and go. And as we've said many times before, it may be wonky, unless you have a Blog Talk Radio account, but give it a shot. So today is another show in our Dreamweaver series about uh, entrepreneurs who've taken the bold step of starting their own business. And uh, the show today is Making a Difference One Word at a Time with WordLab Web. So let's start with a quote, then I'll set the stage, and then I'll bring our guests on. And so here's the quote. The persistent achievement gap between haves and have-nots in our society is chiefly a verbal gap. There's no greater practical attainment in the modern world than acquiring a belly full of words. A large vocabulary is the single most reliable predictor of practical, real-world competence. And that quote is by Professor E.D. Hirsch. That's H-A-I-R-S-H. So um, over one-third of our middle school readers are struggling. So vocabulary is the key here. The single most accurate predictor, like we've said, of how well a reader understands text is generally vocabulary knowledge. And studies show it can grow to a disparity of 30,000 words by eighth grade when intentional, rigorous intervention is not applied. Additionally, these studies confirm that there is a direct correlation between word bank size and success in schools. So Word Lab Web and it's a mouthful there, but it's a vocabulary-based reading program for the middle grades, and it's teacher-created, it's affordable, it's in the cloud, it provides personalized, self-paced learning so students can gain authentic word knowledge and practice a variety of comprehension skills. Three half-hour sessions a week uh, is, is what it entails, and it provides great gains in reading scores. So this tool is the brainchild of Carla and Richard Kessler. That's who our guests are going to be this afternoon. Carla is a 25-year veteran, middle grade teacher, and a former Title I coordinator and learning specialist. She's recognized for her skills and innovative uh, curriculum. She has highly measurable results, and she has implemented um, action research for Word Lab Web in the classroom. Richard, her husband, is a software engineer, and he is a veteran coder and an IT manager. So he has kept uh, Word Lab Web on the leading edge of technology from its origins. It started off as a desktop program to its current platform in the cloud, and we're going to give him a chance to talk a little bit about that. Bottom line is we're jazzed to have the Kesslers join us um, as we not only explore lessons learned from their transition into entrepreneurship, but an overview of Word Lab Web and its success. So we're going to welcome them here in a few minutes, and we're going to get some background information on them, and then... We'll talk a little bit. Are you guys out there? Uh, this is Richard, and I'm here. Hi, Richard. And How about Carla. you, Carla? Here. Yep, I'm Excellent. here. So welcome to the show, and uh, we'll start with you, uh, Richard. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself, give us some a, a bit of background about you, and any highlights you want us to know about. Okay, well, first of all, uh, thanks very much for uh, 
you know, having us on the show today. We appreciate uh, this opportunity. And uh, just uh, the 40,000-foot view of, uh, of my career started off with uh, uh, the piano, of all things. My, uh, my training is, uh, is musical. I was a uh, pianist, classical pianist, for many years and uh, was a professor of music at a liberal arts college. And uh, so I have a, uh, a foundation in music that uh, I transitioned from uh, after some time at that. Uh, computers uh, were becoming more and more widespread, and my interest in them grew, and I ultimately jumped from uh, the piano to the keyboard, or a different type of keyboard, I guess I'd say, and uh, began working for a big, uh, big company that... Uh, uh, back in those days, was an IBM mainframe, uh, and uh, it evolved from there. Uh, I coded uh, for many years, and then uh, got into uh, management and senior management. But I always really enjoyed creating things uh, with code. And uh, Word Lab Web, our our product, is is really the result of that uh, passion I have for coding. Uh, after uh, uh, it, well, let's go back in the beginning, I guess, of, uh, of Word Lab Web. It uh, you know started out as an idea between the two of us, and uh, we worked uh, after hours and on weekends and so forth. And uh, after uh, many years, we decided that uh, the product had really matured to the point where we could devote ourselves to it full time, and that that's kind of brought us to where we are today. Uh, okay. Carla does all of the the curriculum design magic, and I'm responsible for all of the technical stuff. So, so let's jump over uh, to you, Carla, and get a little backroom about you, a background about you, and some of your highlights. We're just kind of doing the bio section right now. What about you? Right. Well, um, music is also in my background. Um, I'm a cellist, and um, I got my bachelor's in music, but did not want to pursue a heavy career in music, not at least in the competitive end. So I became a teacher of cello at a Suzuki music school, and Suzuki is a particular type of education that's based on um, how do we learn our own native language. So it was a nice sort of segue right into teaching English. Um, And at a certain point, I decided I wanted to take my teaching in a different direction. So I still play my cello for fun. As a matter of fact, my husband and I, Richard, and I met about 20 years ago because we started playing music together. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we still do. Um, But um, I decided to become a classroom teacher and started out in the fifth grade and have been teaching middle grades, um, mostly sixth grade um, for my 25-year career in in that area. Um, I chose to teach language arts because I love to read and write, and I find it a very creative um, curriculum to teach, and I enjoy encouraging students to express themselves. I selected... Yeah, I'll I'll stop there. No, no, no. I mean, if there's anything else in your bio you want to share uh, with us, then go ahead. Do that. 
Um, yeah, I think I'll save some for a little bit later on, but that pretty much brings us up to where we are now. Okay. Uh, and I would certainly say that uh, having met playing music together is, is one of those that would qualify as a highlight, I would say. Um, so you both started in technic and education, respectively. And so the question is, especially when you're talking about people that are accustomed to being in a career, it's a, it's a very interesting transition to go from being in a career and working for someone else and then saying, you know, I have this passion for something that I've been thinking about, whether it's a tool or it's a service or whatever it is, and now I'm going to burn my ships and I'm going to give it a go. And this is going to be my new career. This is going to be my new path. So um, how long have you wanted to do something like this with WordLab Web, and what led you to finally burn your ships and, and do that? Either one of you or both can take that question. um, I'll start. Um, I I think it's always exciting to think about working for yourself, but um, I didn't, neither one of us started WordLab Web with the idea that, oh, we're going to work for ourselves. We actually started it because we were excited about what we could do with WordLab Web for kids, and it stimulated both of our our interests, so we just got engaged in the project. Um, I was teaching full-time, and Richard was working full-time. And um, it it was clear to me after a few years of teaching that uh, students were struggling with reading much more than I would have expected. As a matter of fact, about a third to um, 40% of our students come into the middle grades not reading at grade level, and I saw that immediately. So I was um, highly motivated as a teacher because I I really like results uh, to do something about this. So I got my master's in vocabulary because I could see that was a deficit, and it was also uh, in the 90s a very current topic. There was a lot of research going on about it, and we were learning a lot. Um, And... um, I learned everything I could about vocabulary, practiced all the best practices in my classroom, and uh, realized that I couldn't possibly make up the difference for kids in the amount of time I had during a day. And that's when uh, Rick said, hey, let's computerize this. Uh, That'll speed things up, and as you know, uh, computer-based um, curriculum can not only speed things up, it can uh, process data faster, it can personalize, it can differentiate and do a lot of things that teachers can't do fast enough in a classroom of 30 students. So we put our heads together and got to work on this and um, I had a very supportive uh, administration who trusted me so they allowed me to use my classroom as a testing ground. And over, as Richard said, uh, over the weekends and the evenings, we continued to work on this and improve it and uh, collect data on how effective it was being. Because the ultimate idea was to help students become better readers and better communicators. And we found we were really being successful. So at some point, we finally really collected enough data and Um, had fine-tuned the program well enough that we were ready to focus on it full-time. And so that was just recently that we decided we could do that. Any comments to add to that, Richard? 
Yeah, I, I think that we probably over the last, and Carla, you can adjust my numbers, uh, three or four years had started to uh, focus on the idea of devoting 100% of our energies to it for for several reasons. Um, the first being that I think we, we realized that if we really wanted to build it and develop it, and if if uh, we were fortunate enough to have this uh, uh, program that we developed to actually uh, get out there and make a difference for kids, that we we would have to have more time to devote specifically to to its nourishment and development. Couldn't do it just on weekends and evenings. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was part of it, and the other part I think was. Uh, to be totally honest, we we burned our ships to some extent, but we we left a rowboat out there. Uh, <laughs> we we want we wanted to get in a position where we you know we we had a fallback position if if uh, if Word Lab Web didn't ultimately uh, take sail on its own. So uh, it was a combination of, of several of those life sort of forces that uh, brought us to the point we're at now. Okay, that's for for comments there. So, if you were sitting in front of your perfect uh, target audience, uh, what should we know about your business and your tool? And so, from that perspective, I mean, tell us more about Word Lab Web. Um, also, some of the you know, some questions you can be thinking about when you're formulating that is why did you choose to focus on vocabulary in the middle grades? And you've already kind of answered some of that, but still provide some more details if you can. And then, of course, I was glad to see your product was in the cloud because that's you know quickly become the industry standard, especially in the 21st century. And we, you and I know what that means. There are some people out there who may not. So, you know, kind of incorporate that into your answer. And you can, you can guys can go back and forth um, in, in getting us that information about Word Lab Web in terms of who answers those questions. So go. Who is it? Um, okay, I'll, I'll talk. Um, I, um, I, I think one other thing that I, I, I hinted at but perhaps didn't say very clearly is um, not only did we um, leave a rowboat out there, but we didn't want to uh, start out completely depending on this program as um, the, the single thing we do without some proof that was actually effective. So we did wait till we had about four years' worth of data before we said, yeah, this is, this is really worth it. And this is gonna this is gonna do it, and we can jump in and take take control full time. Now, as to what Word Lab Web is, um, let me go back a little bit and just say what our mission is. And I, I think I've, I've said this, but I'll say it in a slightly different way. And very simply, it is to close the word bank gap for the middle schooler. Um, and let me give some history on that. Um, about in the 1960s. Uh, our reading scores all over the nation began to plummet. Um, there were some reasons for that. There was um, some real changes in our approach to teaching that started making their way into the system in the 1930s. And by the 60s, it had really fully infiltrated the system. We had quit teaching knowledge quite as much and had begun to teach more projects and hands-on things and so forth. And it actually um, had a detrimental effect on reading. In the mid-60s, scores 
started to really plummet down to about the 1980s, and then they leveled out, and they really haven't come up since. Now, um, we've been fighting this ever since, but we haven't quite found the right um, formula for bringing our reading scores up. Um, there has been what's called a, a reading war going on between people who believe that just by sheer exposure and experimentation and creativity and allowing kids to be fully engaged that they will uh, just learn. And that's, sometimes that's called the whole language movement. It has several different names. Um, but the data doesn't support that. But it's a really fun and exciting way to teach. And I was part of that whole language movement for a while because it really is fun and engaging. But it's not very effective. Um, and we have learned that students really need to be directly taught. But meanwhile, um, we've got these reading scores that are going down. So um, there's been a lot of uh, funding that's gone into solving this problem starting um, in the very early years, um, pre-kindergarten, which is super important, of course, because that's where it all begins. Students who, um, who start out in first grade often have a difference uh, the, the kids who come from homes where they have a lot of it, a wide exposure generally know twice as many words already as the kids who don't have a wide exposure. And typically the kids with less exposure are the low-income kids whose parents are um, just phenomenally busy and just struggling to get by. So they don't have the kind of exposure that expands their vocabulary. So that starts out right at the beginning. And we have put a fair amount of funding into that, but we haven't done it successfully. Meanwhile, our middle schools have been ignored. Middle schools have been considered a place where, well, you should be able to read by then. So if you don't know how to read, well, I guess it's too late. There has been a little bit of that kind of uh, uh, attitude or approach towards middle schoolers. And, and of course, it's a very um, emotional time of life, a very social time of life. So um, it's easy to give in to that and say, well, we'll just we'll sink or swim. I don't find that acceptable, and a lot of us don't. But um, being a middle school teacher and being exposed to these kids who were throwing in the towel before they even reached high school and seeing so many of them was just, as I said, unacceptable. So WordLabWeb um, is focused specifically on those uh, middle schoolers. And it's taken all the research of how to teach vocabulary and all the research of how to use computer-assisted instruction to make it engaging um, and uh, used all of that to um, build their word banks. And we have been able to improve their reading scores dramatically. Um, I'll okay. let Richard speak over now for a minute. Um, okay, well, I, I'll talk about um, the platform uh, just a little bit. Good, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you, as, you, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, it started out as a desktop 
program. You know, years ago it was actually in Visual Basic 3, which is a language many people recognize, very popular desktop programming. And um, that was very difficult. Uh, it was a client-server application, and it was very difficult to maintain because every school had to have its own uh, implementation, you know, its own installation procedures, and every school had, you know, different requirements and different hardware and uh, it, it was really uh, quite challenging to manage all that and keep things going because there was so much complexity uh, amongst various customers that were using it back in the VB days. So the first step uh, in the evolution towards the cloud was uh, I decided that we would be much better off if we got into a browser uh, even though there are differences between browsers, there's perhaps less uh, to deal with there than there is differences between uh, all the idiosyncratic possibilities in a classroom. Uh, so we uh, we moved it to the web, but not the cloud per se. We we had our own server, and uh, I did all the administration and management of the server. So we were still concerned with uh, <clears throat> the back-end administration and making sure that uh, everything was up to date and that uh, all the uh, antivirus uh, programs were current and uh -huh. uh, all the facets of server administration we were still responsible for. But it did put the interface used by the kids in a browser and uh most uh most schools would be using uh either internet explorer or uh, safari and we were able to reduce to some extent the complexity of managing that end of it and also the access became wider uh the customer base grew literally because access to the program got easier. Uh, right. There was no installation. You know, you didn't have to get CDs in the mail and put them in the machine and install it. All you had to do was go to a website. But then the cloud came along, and uh, I I think the cloud is just terrific for for people like us. Uh, I mean, we're just a small shop and we have an idea that we're promoting and that we believe in, and the cloud is uh, empowers us and enables us to do that because what it provides is the uh, back end that I was talking about a minute ago, all the server management, the database management, the uh, uh, security protection uh, is all provided by uh, a cloud vendor. And I uh, simply have to worry about WordLab Web. WordLab Web is a is a is a, uh, behind the scenes. It's a it's a .NET application. It's a web application, and uh, I worry about that. It has to function properly, and I I take care of that. And uh, you know we manage all of the enhancements and so forth. But the infrastructure that it runs on has all been offloaded. So our cloud vendor, and uh, that is terrific because uh, 
we uh, are able to utilize this resource that has literally global a global presence and is available to everyone, and yet right. a small business can uh, locate themselves and uh, make themselves available to everyone by uh, by choosing the cloud. So it's worked out really well for us so far. And, you know, it, it, there's a conversation. It's not for this show. We've had s- several shows about cloud computing and some of the challenges that are being found by, you know, for, for instance, you know, server uh, consultants, you know, they were used to doing small business server and small, you know, exchange server and all these other things, and now they're trying to reinvent themselves. And so, you know, there's some resistance to the cloud because they're trying to find, you know, relevance and, and how they can support their clients or still make money, frankly, um, when so much is being done in the cloud for them that they would normally do. So, yes, it is very efficient and it is very pervasive, and it's. I'm glad to hear that it's empowered your business. So, I- an example of you know what i what we do in our own lives is we use something called xt you know math or st math or extra math and these are programs that are designed to um help children become uh, students become more um articulate in math so the parallel with yours is if i'm not mistaken and you can correct me is you basically have a program a of of learning that keeps uh the middle students engaged so that the ultimate goal is to learn more words so exactly how would that work with, you know, and you can give us an example without necessarily having to name names, but the sort of work that you've been doing with specific clients, uh, more of a case study type question, you know, an example of the results and the successes that you've enjoyed or they've enjoyed with your product. Um, okay, I'll I'll take that. Um, first, I want to just backtrack a little bit and, and just, uh, it may be obvious to some people, but not to everybody, that why words are so important um, and generally, if you talk about it in a general sense, the broader your knowledge, whether it's acquired at home, school, or anywhere, the more likely you are to possess the, the schema, schema, as we call it, the background, to uh, intuit the meaning of new knowledge. And in theory, look, a good reader should be getting 99% of their new knowledge and particularly knowledge of words, from their reading. But around fourth grade, students who don't have enough words um, begin to be unable to face the reading that they're expected to learn from. And so they just stop. If you don't know 90 to 95% of the words um, in any piece of reading, you can't figure out new meanings of words that you didn't know through using the context. Um, Another piece uh, that I thought might be interesting to people um, is that, um, you know, even though we we all know that a college degree provides an economic benefit, um, and the SAT, which is the entrance to college, is essentially a vocabulary test, but even um, people who aren't college-bound need that broad background in knowledge in, in words because, um, for example, the uh, Army had uh, has an entrance exam called the Armed Forces Qualification Test. And this test is a requirement for entrance and for job allocate, allocating. And they have found that they're able to use that test 
to predict real-world job performance and income. And they found that by doubling the verbal score of this test, so that two-thirds of it was weighted on their verbal skills, doubling the verbal score, not doubling the math score, was how you could predict whether someone was going to uh, perform at a higher level and make a better income. To the point of they found that a gain of one standard deviation on this test raises, raises one's annual income by about $10,000. So um, there's been plenty of studies to show that, that, that this makes a difference. Um, brain research also shows that our brains need specifically information to connect to other pieces of information. So we're always making connections, and if we don't have some basics to go with, then we, we find it impossible to connect. Um, in terms of what we have done with specific clients, um, I, first I'll tell you a little bit about our successes. We have collected data for four years um, in middle school with students who have used the program for 90 minutes a week in 30-minute segments. Um, and over uh, the average gain in reading scores, so this is not a test that we give, but it's a test that the school gives for looking at their reading. They give it at the beginning of the year and then after four months um, to see if students are becoming better readers. The average gain in those reading scores over four months has been 1.2 years in reading gains. And that's quite good. That's something that teachers are not generally able to do on their own without the support of a program like this. So we're really uh -huh. thrilled by that. Um, I can give you a little personal story, too. I've seen a lot of kids um, coming through our school. Um, I can, oh, I'll call him Jimmy, one of my favorite stories. This was a kid who came to the middle school, sixth grade, um, feisty, funny, great joker, obviously intelligent by the level of his jokes but clearly had made up his mind that school was just the place he was going to get through. Um, and you'd see frequently see him out in the hallway because he'd been thrown out of class for a little while to cool down because he was distracting everybody too much. And his teachers started out by saying, well, you just need to read more because good readers will um, develop their skills by reading more. Um, and that didn't work. Um, they tried to enforce it in study hall. He hated to sit still. That didn't work. Um, and the teacher set, found a few moments to sit down and read aloud with him. That helped a little bit because the one-on-one -on -one is always better than being out on your own. Um, but it still didn't make a, di a difference. Um, he's one of my early cases. So at this time, I introduced uh, Word Lab Web to this teacher, and she put him on it. And one of the things Word Lab Web does is it allows the students to progress at their own pace. They always find a way to be successful. You know, that's one of the reasons that games are so uh, addictive is because you're 
you're always given opportunity to try again and try again until you're successful. And there's just enough challenge to say, ah, I'm going to do this again. But you know Mm -hmm. that there's a way to get there. And so Word Lab Web is set up very similar to how games are set up in that there's always an opportunity to succeed, to go at your own pace, and there's plenty of rewards and recognitions built in. So he soon became addicted to the program. And this particular kid, and he was he's typical of a lot of kids being very bright, once he got the rhythm of it, he began to develop, yes, a better vocabulary, but in four months you don't develop a huge vocabulary. But what he developed more importantly was a word consciousness. He began to really think about words and to start paying attention to the how they're used in context. And um, in three months, this particular student gained uh, two grade levels in his reading comprehension scores, and his teacher was just thrilled. So that's a that's a mini case study, and um, yeah, that's a great example too. A great a great success story there. So. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit here, and because a lot of people are interested in the the business side of it, and some of the things yes. that um, you know, like what, what were your biggest lessons learned? You know, not just about the business, but the human dynamics on your path to success. You know, when you were doing this, um, I'll I'll say something, and then Richard, you take over. Um, one of the things is that you need to be patient. Uh-huh. <laughs> we find that, I mean, that seems obvious, but we were so excited about our product, and we just knew it was just going to make such a difference. And we'd leave all these messages, and we'd talk to people, and then you would hear nothing back for long periods of time. And you start to take it personally uh-huh. and go, oh, well, they don't like it, you know, or we've not communicated properly. And then out of the blue, they'd come back six months later and go, oh, well, you know, we got distracted. I think that's particularly true of teachers who are so overwhelmed that they just can't get back to you half the time. So patience and, you know, learning that sometimes people don't get back to you, not because they don't like your product, but because they just can't was a big lesson for both of us. Um, And Richard, I'll let you take one take over. I I think I just pretty much echo that sentiment. I mean, patience and uh, don't get discouraged. I I think everybody, you know, you hear those, uh, you hear that all the time, Um, but uh, it's the truth. Uh, I think occasionally uh, there's, uh, somebody comes along with an idea and uh, they sort of drop it on the ground like a lit match and they, they happen to hit dry grass and before you know it uh it's taken over but i think probably more cases than not there's a lot of uh stick to itiveness and uh persistence and uh stay optimistic uh if you believe in what you're doing and you're having fun i mean part of, part of this uh is for for carla and myself is we enjoy doing this work and uh, we've had a great time uh, getting to the point that we're at now. Uh, we'd love to see it progress. We'd love to see uh, the tool get out there uh, with a broader base and affect more kids' lives. But, 
you know, having uh, having fun at it and uh, makes it makes it uh, makes it possible, really. I think. And you know, it kind of yeah. goes back to something that was, you know, that Carla said earlier about, you know, it, you didn't really go in the business to say, hey, we're going to work for ourselves, which some people do that, but, you know, I would say the majority of entrepreneurs actually do go in because they have a passion about something. They're not trying to escape the big man or the man or working for the man or whatever that is. They are really um, sparked by uh, innovation or innovative ideas or a vision, and uh, they they hopefully, if they're fortunate, they have a passion for that, and that passion will will take them past the um, the bumps in the road, like you said, when you run into these these long gaps or these long periods where you may, you may not be achieving your goals at the level that you anticipated, but you know you stick you stick to it, and you, you know that's what gets you over the hump. And then the other thing is, you know, talking about reframing it and being able to look at your business, not necessarily just up close, but to step back a bit. And I've had some conversations with Richard when I met him, you know, about a week or so ago about that, where you first you start off by, like you said, you're you're trying to reach the teachers, and then you realize, well. You know, that approach could work on some level because you can get the, the program into individual classes, but then maybe you start talking to districts or maybe you start talking, you know, to parents or whatever, and you find different ways of of, of moving, whether it's organic from the ground up, from the top down, from the middle, to, you know, to get the message across. And then the third thing that I've noticed, which I really enjoyed about the show today, is we tend to talk about, for good reason, what it is and how it works because we have a lot of people that are highly educated, they're technical or, you know, technology focus and they want to know what it is and and why it's um you know how it's going to work for them but the big thing that you guys have been talking about is the why and i think that's very important because you can tell someone what some what something does all day long and what it's supposed to do in terms of results but giving the background and the research um and the long range view regarding why it's so important is really answering the question that will bring the quote-unquote sale. So I really appreciate um, that you've taken the time to do that. I see that there's somebody else lingering out here. Let's see what they want to add to the conversation. Hello? Who's out there? Hello, is there somebody Charles. out here? Hi, Charles. Hey there. Well, have you been listening to the uh, comments from Carla and Richard? Do you want to add something to the conversation? Or ask well, them any questions? Just, or. Well, the question I have is how have successful have they been? Have they been approaching districts or is it more individual teachers uh, adopting the program and how to get uh, broader appeal and, and penetration? Because there's so many educational opportunities and so many paths, and it's usually a question of how do you get in the door? Yes, very good question, and that's been a real challenge for us. Um, we are asking other people the same questions. Um, our first feeling was um, that to approach it from the teacher side, from the bottom up, um, was the best approach. Um, there is a movement now to where everything in the schools is more top-down. Um, so some people are saying that you really need to start at the district level. Teachers no, no longer are allowed to do their own thing or to influence things as much. Um, hmm. I'm not sure I buy that because I yeah. think ultimately it really is a passion that has to take place. And districts mm-hmm. and the administrative level don't tend to be passionate about things. They're also they have a they have a very poor system for selecting um, software uh, or curriculum of any kind. 
I've been on those committees. I know. <laughs> and um, they're overwhelmed even more so now with all the software choices. So um, they're not the ones who really have try it out and choose it. They don't have good guidelines for, for deciding whether a certain curriculum is going to do everything they need it to do because sometimes they're not even sure what they need it to do because computer-assisted instruction is still, unfortunately, believe it or not, somewhat new to um, schools. There are a lot of schools that are so far behind in having um, computers that they haven't had a chance to experiment with what the possibilities are and what do they really want to get out of it. There is a whole new movement called blended learning that's um, mm -hmm. taken over, and you know we're beginning to sort it out. But I I do believe that this is my personal belief that um, starting with the teachers and getting it to spread from there is still probably your best bet. I will say one other thing, and that is we are a subscription service, and the subscription business model um, works better that way, I think, as well. Um, and it also requires that you really, really nurture each and every one of your subscribers because you need them to come back each year. And uh -huh. with that kind of nurturing, you are also nurturing their willingness to spread the word. So um, I think the system of from the bottom up works better with a subscription service. But it is very hard to find out which schools have the technology to actually um, put to use a, a computer program. Uh, you can find out whether they're struggling with their reading scores and um, what their what the income levels are um, and so forth, but finding out whether they have the curriculum equipment to even consider a program is difficult, and they're a little um, shy about giving out that information. So I don't have a perfect answer. That's that's really my just my opinion. I hope that was helpful. Richard, you want to add anything? Helpful, Charles? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, OSPI publishes so many stats about schools that you can probably identify which schools might be more likely to provide curriculum. But I, I know that right now schools, definitely I agree with the point that um, they're still in transition. Um, they still are working towards getting, you know, more computers in the hands of students and having enough labs and having enough Internet bandwidth. I mean, even just for doing uh, automated testing, um, some districts have plenty of capability, and other districts they got to bust their students to another school district in order to have enough computer terminals with enough bandwidth to do the testing. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's a real, real problem uh, that was identified. But I was going to say also, in terms of curriculum, I think Common Core drives a lot of, you know, the adoption of the Common Core. How do the new curriculum standards, you know, correspond, or what, what, uh, what, what do they fit in the uh, curriculum? Um, does your program kind of fit into some parts of the Common Core? Have you looked at the alignment with it and how that would be applicable? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, matter of fact, it fits in more than it did uh, with our previous uh, Washington State test. Um, in that, um, Common Core is highly vocabulary focused. Um, a greater percentage of 
the test um, depends on strong vocabulary. Uh, we use the academic word lists in our program, which are the high-frequency words that students need to know to uh, manage reading of textbooks and to manage tests like the Common Core, as well as the high-frequency literacy words that are that they would see in um, fictional uh, kinds of reading. So, yes. You know, that's, that's another reason why the hybrid approach, which is working with a district and working with a teacher, is even more important because we had, I mean, obviously you have all types of different teachers, but, you know, even with the common core and, and the hyperbole that's out there about how horrible it's going to be and everybody's, you know, a lot of fear-mongering and so forth, and, and you know, we, we never were concerned as parents um, because we knew that we had such a great district and we have great teachers within that district and they are creative and they are passionate. And if there is a tool out there such as yours that would help their classroom, they would actually be front and center trying to pull that forward into their classrooms. It's not uh, something that they they would even push the idea up to the district um, to inspire them to support it financially or otherwise, and then it could actually go across the district from that um, from that test case. So it's it's really um, you know like I said you know very very happy to have have met Richard to talk about this to know that you were local is just fantastic I think that it's a tremendous opportunity here and so can you talk a little bit about you know your URL um, you've got a Facebook page tell us where we can keep track of what you're doing and I think there's also a capability to go in there and take a look at the tool on your website is that correct? Uh, well, I uh, can uh, respond to that. Yeah. Um, well, our URL is uh, www.wordlabweb.com, and uh, that landing page that you'll see uh, pop up is provides uh, access for our subscribers, and also there's a, a link there that goes to uh, the informational site that uh, talks all about the program and. Uh, what what we've done is we've put uh, quite a few videos on that site uh, where Carla uh, briefly highlights the functionality of various uh, web pages uh, in WordLab Web. And there's also uh, the statistics, the test results, and uh, you know all things WordLab Web on that site. So th- that's that's the place to go to learn about the program. Is to, wordlabweb.com. Okay, and so do you um, guys have any... Um, did you want to say something, Carla? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to add to that. There's there's a 27-minute <laughs> tutorial on there that actually goes through the process of a whole set of words that you can watch me doing the program so you can see it hands-on. And I don't know if people wanted to hear of the types of activities but one of the things that we do in this pro- program is to actively process or access students' prior knowledge, and they have to actually enter their own ideas into the program to to go along with the information they're getting about words from WordLab. So they create their own personalized dictionary combined with information they're given from context about words they're learning. They have to then um, add pictures to their dictionary and describe features of the word so that they say if it's a good-feeling word, a bad-feeling word. Not that there's a right or wrong answer, but 
associating with the word in as many ways as possible. And then they go into context activities where they're categorizing or making visuals or um, um, trying out uh, different kinds of, of affixes, um, looking at how the words fit uh, in a sentence and grammatical category and a whole variety of, of context clues like analogies and antonyms and so forth and so on. And then it, it checks for knowledge. Um, so that's just a, a few more specifics. But um, you can see all that if you go to the tutorial. Um, and I did want to add, add that we do have a Twitter handle. It's um, at WordLabWeb. And if you go to our website, um, I have I send out a monthly newsletter. The object of the newsletter is to keep people updated on uh, reading research, and of course, anything specifically focused on vocabulary, I always highlight. But reading in general, I try to keep it light and quick because I know everybody's busy. So I try to have only three. Um, articles each time, but anybody out there who's interested, please uh, go to our website and sign up on the newsletter. Uh, we'd love to keep you informed. Absolutely. And do you guys also have uh, any type of public speaking, um, presentation, town hall type things that uh, anyone can, if they wanted to show up, we had a question here, if they wanted to show up for a presentation or a, um, a talk, do you guys do that at all? or? Uh, never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a new well, one. There you go. That would be yeah, great. I mean, if you decide to do that, you know, ping us, and we'll 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 certainly get some people there for you. And frankly, I mean, as parents, if your parents out there listening, uh, and you are as, as intrigued or interested in this, I mean, because I think most of us like competitive advantage and, and making sure that our children are on the up and up, and and seeing where they are in terms of their skill sets and vocabulary and math and science and whatever. But if you're out there and you're interested in this, then what I would say to you is go to your schools. And make them aware of Word Lab Web and tell them that you want them to come and speak to the schools or to the parents or come to speak to a PTA or a whatever it's called these days. I don't know, whatever. Um, PTO, I think it is. But come and speak to a group of people. We have a lot of assembly-type um, events here on the uh, on our in our district, so I can't see why we can't, can't get you guys in there to, to talk to a bunch of parents about why this is so critically important and why it should be in many more schools than, than it is right now. So are there any more thoughts and comments or questions from anyone on the line today? Um, well, you know that quote that you gave at the beginning by Professor Edie Hirsch, if anybody wanted to pursue further, um, you know, and understand why... Um, the vocabulary knowledge is the, is the key to upward mobility. Um, I would um, Google E.D. Hirsch and look at some of the speeches he's made to um, our politicians. He's trying to um, push our schools further along the line in terms of the right direction for teaching reading. So looking up his work would be a good way to find out more about the why. And, I, and whatever URL you gave me, I think there was a URL associated with that quote, and I think Chris um, hyperlinked 
the, his name to that actual URL. So as a start, if anybody's listening, you can go back to the page you're listening from right now and look at that quote. And if you click um, Hirsch's name, I think it should at least take you um, to that URL, and you can go from there to other places to understand uh, the background around that. So um, any other comments or thoughts or questions, Charles or Richard or Carla? Well, I was uh, going to add a mm-hmm. question. What? Okay. And that was, uh, I know you have a subscription-based model, but I know, you know, when you think about the way, you know, software, it, like this is being a software product, like so much software is being, you know, turned into applications. You know, everything's an app. And in apps, right. a lot of times in order to get some traction, you have a free slash premium or freemium model. Uh, so you get people in the door to try your app, and then, you know, in order to get to the more advanced levels, then you start charging a subscription. Uh, do you guys feel like that might be something that would, you, would, you would look at? Because then that makes it even easier for people to try your product and see if it's something that works for them. Carla, do you want to just briefly uh, tell Charles about uh, our experience with, like, the free uh, Well, free yeah. Um, first, maybe you should address whether WordLab – can be an app. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I mean, a bigger that's a question. Very interesting, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, interesting point. And it's something that uh, that I've actually started looking at. Uh, I mean, there's a mobile revolution going on right now, and they say that, the, you know, the, the stampede to mobile computing is, is, is going at, I don't know, three times the rate uh, as uh, prior transition, say, from uh, the desktop to the cloud and, and uh, from the mainframe to the PC. I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, really a, an avalanche going on. Uh, right. As far as WordLab Web is concerned, we haven't quite figured out whether or not uh, there is a way, and, and this is something we'll have to see how it evolves, but WordLab Web still relies a little bit on real estate. I mean, there has to be enough uh, room on the screen to uh, have text, printed material, at words, uh, and uh, the ability to drag and drop, and um, uh, to see things in context. And the phone format is still really uh, constraining for that. Uh, and uh, tablets, uh, you know, iPads and that sort of thing right now, WordLab Web can run on an iPad, but it runs inside the browser. Uh, so where apps fit in and the, uh, the possibility there for, for our tool is, is still a little bit uh, in the decision stage. We're think, we've been thinking about taking part of WordLab Web uh, which is a a uh, uh, challenge function. There's a once once kids complete uh, a word list, they can actively challenge other kids or challenge the school average uh, in terms of how how quickly or how accurately they can uh, demonstrate their word knowledge. And that's something we might port to an app that would be a complement to WordLab Web. But um, I think, at least technically, that's that's where we're at. The idea of the 
free and then premium edition. Carla, maybe you want to just briefly mention the, our experience. Yeah, and we've, got yeah. Only, we've got a couple of minutes, so, yeah, I'll just wrap up really quickly, and then uh, we'll okay. close out. Okay. I We did offer free pilots um, for a period of time, and um, we found that um, typically, almost all the time, actually, um, that teachers just never quite got started. They would be so excited about it, and then something would come down the pike, and I'd get an email, oh, we just adopted a new curriculum. I can't take on anything new or one thing or another. We found if people don't have some money in the game, when it comes to piloting something free, it's hard to get it fit in. Uh, teachers are have so many demands placed on them that they have to prioritize, and if somebody hasn't put money out, it's tends to lower the priority. <laughs> and I think that kind of pencils out across a lot of different sectors and industries. I mean, you, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's uh, you know something that's happening right, right now in the app and, and other spaces. But, of course, you know, people place a certain value on that, and, and that uh, tends to impact how they respond as well. I'm getting the signal from Chris that we are out of time. Wow. Let me take a moment here to thank the Kesslers for coming onto the show this afternoon. Thanks to Charles for popping in and to all of you for tuning in with us. This broadcast is going to become a podcast right here on our iTunes channel, or you can find it on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash STR Talk, or STR Talk 8 Talk Radio. I think that's right. Right. Sammy, Tommy, Roger, the number 8 in Talk Radio. So keep in touch. Buzz the tower if there's something you want to know or want us to know. And uh, Donia Keating signing off at about 4 p.m. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>